0: Welcome to PBC Talks. If you would like to find out more information, please visit pbc.org.uk. Firstly, thank you so much for allowing me here. Uh, It's a privilege, it's an honour. Pointed back to church is a church that I know well. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, Chris introduced me as the youngest child of Phil and Tricia. That is correct. Um, And also correct is that I have a nine-week-year-old baby who is here at the back. Her name is Eliana and she is stunning. (laughs) Absolutely stunning. Um, Before we start in Jonah, just a few lessons I've learned in the past nine weeks about parenthood. One... (laughs) One, you can get by on less sleep than you ever have done before. Two... God is real. God is real. You know, we were there in the delivery suite, uh, Adam Brooks Hospital, and praise God, there were four God-believing, God-fearing Christians in the same room, and the very presence of God was in that room as well. So I knew that God was real before I ever had a child, but now I know that I know that I know that God is real, amen? And not only that, but God is faithful. Eliana, my daughter's name, means God has heard. And God has heard the prayers and the cries of our heart for a child. And I encourage you, if you are praying for something, keep praying. Keep asking because God is faithful and he will answer your prayers. Uh, this morning, we are in Jonah. If you'd like to turn me in your Bibles, please, or on your screens, or on these screen to Jonah chapter 1, it's a very short And it's a very well-known book. It's four chapters long. There are 48 verses in total. And it's packed full of intrigue. And it's packed full of lessons for the modern church. It's full of commandments, disobedience, confession, mercy, prayer, deliverance, second chances, prophecy, compassion, repentance, and disappointment. But really, this book, this short book, is about one thing. It is not about a great fish. That fish is only mentioned four times. It's not about a great city, Nineveh, which is mentioned a total of nine times. It's not even about this man, Jonah, who is mentioned 18 times. This book is all about God. God is mentioned 38 times in these 48 verses. And in fact, without God, this story would not make sense. And I think most of us here today could agree that without God in our lives, life itself would not make sense. So this morning, our focus is on Jonah and how we can learn through and in his disobedience. Uh, We're going to read the first three verses of Jonah chapter one, and then we're going to pray. the Lord And Father, we thank you for the public reading of your word. We thank you, God, that your word is so relevant and so real in our lives and so pivotal to the history of this world and so pivotal to the future of this world. God, we just pray that this morning that your word would impact us in a way that will not just encourage and motivate, but in a way that would change and transform us from the inside out, that we would be more made into the image of Jesus Christ that, God, we would learn what it means to be obedient to you. And we pray this in the matchless name, the perfect name of Jesus. Amen. Isn't Jonah a rebel? He he very clearly hears the word of God, and he very clearly flees from the word of God. And are we not all slightly rebellious in nature? In fact, rebellion is a very real part of our fallen nature. And it goes back to the garden with Adam and Eve, who rebelled against the word of God. They were disobedient to the commands of God. But if you fast forward to your life, if you fast forward to my life in 2019, we've all experienced this inner urge to rebel, have we not? Specifically against those in positions of authority. It could be that we have an urge within ourselves to rebel against our parents. My nine week year old baby does not always do what I want her to do. It could be that we have an urge to rebel against our teachers, against our bosses at work, even against our church leaders, the government, or as Jonah, we could start to rebel against God himself. As humans, we are all rebellious in nature. But why? Well, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, and this applies to every single one of us, from the young to the old, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is deceitful above all things. My heart, your heart, cannot be trusted. So often when we face the biggest decisions in our lives, we are our own worst enemy. Because suddenly, we decide to follow our impulses, to do what feels right, to do what feels good. But the Bible says, God's word says, that our hearts are deceitful above all things. So as we start to follow ourselves, in fact, we are deceiving ourselves. And in 2019, In our culture, it's quite a cool thing to be a rebel. It's quite a trendy thing to be a rebel. But in God's eyes, the sin of rebellion is an incredibly serious thing. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23 says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Or a different translation would say divination. This is heavy stuff. And witchcraft is a real thing. Our church in Cambridge, we have a born-again believer saved out of witchcraft. Female witches, male wizards, it's a very real thing. And this is what Jonah entered into when he heard the word of God and he rebelled against the word of God. And in fact, he was disobedient to what God was commanding him to do. So, biblical rebellion is this it's hearing the word of God and doing something different. Or, rebellion is this manipulating the word of God, the Bible, so that you hear what you want to hear. So, if we just stop and consider for a minute, have you ever rebelled against God? Have you done something that is contrary to his word? Have you manipulated the words of these pages so that you hear what you want to hear? Because that is as a sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is a serious thing. And if you have rebelled against God, well, the solution is simple, is repentance. is coming back to God who is a forgiving God. But if we return to Jonah, Jonah's track record up to this point, was good. In fact, we can read about his story in 2 Kings chapter 12. But his act of rebellion was very much out of character. What we know of Jonah is that he was a prophet. He was appointed by God to be a representative of God on this earth. And he is a successful prophet. He clearly loves God And he clearly loves God's people. So why did Jonah respond to God's call to go to Nineveh in such a dramatic and rebellious way? What we're going to do in the rest of our time this morning, we're going to look at two reasons why Jonah did this. And we're going to try and learn through his disobedience and apply to our lives things that may transform the way that we live. Firstly, Jonah had a misunderstanding of God. He had a misunderstanding of the character of God. More specifically, Jonah did not understand God's love. The Bible tells us very clearly that God is love. God is not simply a loving God, but in his very nature, he is God. But Jonah didn't understand that. But if we want to think about Jonah, just think about some historical context. Nineveh, the place that he was called to, was a great city, a huge city, the capital of Assyria. And the Assyrians were the enemy of Israel. The people of Nineveh were well known for their cruelty. Their reputation as an evil and a wicked people was spread far and wide. And so Jonah rebelled and would not travel to Nineveh. He refused to carry a message of mercy and repentance to his enemies. Jonah would rather have seen the city destroyed than follow God's command. At the end of Jonah's short book, we read that there are over 120,000 people in the city. Jonah would rather have let them all perish and die than suck up his own pride and take a message of mercy and repentance to them. Jonah loved God. Jonah loved God's people. But he could not see how God's love, which we now know is the gospel message, the good news, could be extended to the enemies of Israel how that love could be extended to his enemies. Jonah took God's plan for salvation into his own hands. Think of it this way. In Jonah's act of rebellion, he decided who did and who didn't deserve God's salvation. We, all of us, have no right to decide who does and who does not deserve the good news of Jesus Christ. Because if we are honest with ourselves, really honest with ourselves, we never deserve the good news in the first place. None of us deserve to be here this morning. None of us deserve to be sat here this morning but it's by the grace of God, which is the free gift of eternal life, that we can sit here. Because it was God's wish, is God's desire that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But Jonah could not see how God could have compassion on his enemies. In this moment, Jonah made himself judge jury, and executioner over a city full of 120,000 people. Jonah decided that he knew better than God. How many of us have ever decided that for our own lives? That we know better than God. Jonah got it wrong, big time. And yet in his disobedience... God demonstrated his love to Jonah. If you think of the story of Jonah, we don't have time to read it all this morning, but God took Jonah from the port to the boat to the storm to the belly of the fish simply to teach him one thing, simply to teach him one important message, that salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is not of man. Salvation is of God and God alone. Not by our works. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? And we have no right to determine who does and who does not deserve the good news of Jesus Christ. We cannot take that into our own hands just as Jonah did. It's rebellion. And not only did he get taught the lesson of salvation. But God demonstrated that he is a God of second chances. The word of the Lord did not come to Jonah just once. The word of the Lord came to Jonah twice. God was teaching Jonah how to love. And God demonstrated his love to you and to me in a much greater way than that. God demonstrated his love to you and to me through his son, Jesus Christ, upon the cross. And we have the opportunity to love God only because he first loved us. And whilst we were still sinners, stuck in rebellion, Christ died for us upon the cross. God demonstrated his love to Jonah through taking him on this experience of a boat and a storm into a whale or a big fish. But God demonstrates his love to you and to me through his son, stepping from heaven to earth, living a life as a man, taking himself through obedience to a cross, taking upon himself the weight of our sin and our shame, and dying for you and for me. The greatest demonstration of love ever in the history of man is Jesus upon the cross. Amen? And a lawyer a lawyer once asked Jesus this question. He said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God with your whole being leads to a supernatural ability to love others with all that you are. Loving God with your whole being, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, leads to a supernatural ability to love others with all that you are. And Jesus is not speaking of a soppy, emotional, impulsive love. The ancient word here for, for love is agape. This agape love is a selfless love, it's a uh, sacrificial love, it's an unconditional love. I heard it put this way this love keeps on loving even when the loved one is unresponsive, unkind, unlovable. And unworthy. Let me just remind you this morning this is how God loves you. God loves you even when you are unresponsive. God loves you even when you are unkind. God loves you even when you are unlovable. And praise God, He loves you and me when we are unworthy. And Jesus commands us to agape, to love our neighbor as ourselves, whoever your neighbor might be. It could be your next door neighbor. It could be the person you share an office with at work. It could be your family. It could be a national neighbor or an international neighbor. God calls you to love them unconditionally. However, God does not command you to like them. He does not command you to like them. He commands you to love them. And you are not being asked to approve of, to like, or to love their lifestyle or sin. You are called to love them because they are sinners who need to be saved by grace. Do not allow what they do in their lives to affect how much you love them. Jonah himself was called to love the people of Nineveh, he fled. Because he didn't understand that God's love stretches to all people. and I really do think that understanding God's love is fundamental to a successful Christian life. It's fundamental to understanding his love. And in fact, I would say the fruit, the very fruit of a maturing believer in Jesus Christ is growing in love. So if you were to consider yourself this morning, sat down in and Baptist Church, are you growing in love? None of us love perfectly, but I know that I can go to the one who is perfect love to receive love that I may love others better. So not only did Jonah not fully understand the love of God, he did not fully trust God and his plan. The second point then this morning is to trust God. When we have decisions in life, we have two main influences. We have the world and the people in the world. And that could be yourself. Or you have God, God's word and godly counsel. In Jeremiah 17, again, it says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. It also says in the same passage, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Let me read that again. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. And Jonah was very much led by his own heart. He was very much led by his impulsive decisions. And remember earlier we said that the heart of man is deceitful above all things. As he was led by his impulses, as he was led by his feelings, look how his life turned out. On a boat in the middle of a storm. He was so calm in that storm that he fell asleep, not really knowing what was going on. But Jonah's second option was to trust God. But how do we trust God? How do we trust God day to day, moment by moment? I truly believe that God allows things in our lives so that we may learn to trust him more. He puts us in certain circumstances where we have to rely upon him. For example, the call to Nineveh. Or... Further in the story, when he's on a boat or in the belly of a fish, he puts us in, opportun- uh, in circumstances where we can learn how to trust him. Psalm 37, verse 5 says, Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. We must give ourselves, we must commit ourselves to God completely. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 Paul talks about offering up ourselves as living sacrifices as an act of worship. He says as well that is our reasonable service. That means it's the least we can do in response to what God has done to offer up ourselves to him. There's a promise though. He shall bring it to pass. If you commit yourselves to God and trust in him, he shall bring to pass the things that you've committed into his hands. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 goes on to say, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he shall, he shall direct your paths. If we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, It needs to be no matter what the circumstance, no matter what is going on in our lives, big or small, we must trust in the Lord. And when it says lean not on our understanding, to me that also says, do not lean upon the understanding of man or the things of this world, but lean upon his understanding. Lean upon the word of God. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. Do you involve God in everything that you do? Or do you simply involve God when you need help for emer- in emergencies? Do you trust God in the day-to-day? Do you trust God for direction, even in the simple things of life? In all your ways, acknowledge Him. No matter what the circumstance, and He shall, He shall direct your paths. Again, it is a promise. God says He shall bring it to pass. And he's also said he shall direct your paths. God puts us in circumstances where we will learn to trust him. Or we will try and trust in ourselves and the things of this world. It could be for you that you need to learn to trust God in the middle of a crisis of faith. It could be that you need to learn to trust God in the middle of doubt. What about in the middle of illness? When illness strikes, will you trust God then? How about in a broken marriage or a broken home? Will you trust God then? Jonah was called by God, and yet he did not trust God. We are all in this room called by God. Will you trust him? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, we have been created in God's image, and we all have a purpose in this life, because God has created and planned that for you. But the, the, the point I want to make is that we must walk Paul says we must walk in the works that have been prepared for us. Our faith needs to be an active faith as we respond to what God has and what God is doing. Jonah misunderstood God's love, and he did not fully trust in God. Can you turn to uh, Jonah chapter 4, please? The end of the book of Jonah is this. We simply don't know what happened. I find it fascinating of this very short book, all this intrigue and all these lessons, but we don't know what happened to Jonah. What happened to the runaway prophet? What happened to the disobedient prophet? The angry, the disgruntled prophet? We don't know because there is no chapter five, it is unwritten. And what I want to say to you today is that the next chapter of your life is unwritten. The next chapter of my life is unwritten. And what happens in the next chapter of your life is up to you. What will your next steps be? Will you respond to God's word in rebellion or will you respond in obedience? In the Christian life, obedience is key. Jesus said that if you love me, that you will keep my commandments. Let me finish with this. How are you doing in life? How are you really doing in life? We get the classic Christian answer on a Sunday morning of fine. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm good. Or usually I'm busy. But how are you actually doing? Are are you like Jonah, receiving the word of God for the first time and having to decide how you will respond? Because Jonah had a choice. He could have listened and obeyed, but he chose to rebel. Or are you in that position today where you are rebelling? You've heard God's word and you're doing something different. Or you've heard God's word and changed it so it sounds like what you want to hear. Well, maybe you need to seek God for forgiveness today. Maybe you need to, as Jonah did in the belly of the fish, meet with a God who is a God of love and a God of mercy. Are you in need this morning of the God of second chances? Consider your life. Consider the last time you heard God speak clearly to you. Did you obey what he asked you to do? did you step out in faith when he spoke clearly to you because if you didn't God is a god of second chances that same word he spoke to you is the same word he's speaking to you today because he is the god of second chances or are you still waiting to hear from God I said at the beginning God is real God is real He's living He's powerful and he's almighty but he's also personable and relatable and wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us. You know, the the greatest parallel that we can see between Jonah and the New Testament is the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son who went and lived a promiscuous life, spent all of his money, came back, and his father had his arms open wide. And that's the God that we serve, the God who is Love The God who is everything that we could ever imagine and desire. But whatever stage of life that we are in, we all need to learn to love more, don't we? We are not perfect at loving people, but God is. To learn to love more, we need to go to the one who is love and spend more time with him. And whatever stage of life we are in, we all need to learn to trust God more, don't we? So let's press into a God who is real. Let's press into a God who is love. Let's press into a God who is trustworthy. Because God is faithful. God is the God of love. God is the God of second chances. And God is the God who has prepared works beforehand that if we would only trust him, we could see so much fruit for his kingdom. Should we pray? Can we the band up as well, please? Father, we thank you that you are such a good God. We thank you that you are a God who is loving, a God who is compassionate, and a God who has a plan for us. Father, I just pray that even in this moment, by your Spirit, you would reveal in our hearts where we may have been rebellious in not receiving your word or not obeying your commands. God, we come and we seek your forgiveness. We seek your love. Lord, for those of us who are desperate this morning for a second chance, God, I pray by your grace that you would reveal your love to us, that your Holy Spirit would stir within our hearts an incredible sense of belonging, an incredible sense of your love and mercy. We thank you that you are a God who speaks. Give us the ears to receive what you have said. The hearts that are soft that they may be changed into your likeness, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's talk. Join us next week for another inspirational message.